It was a big weekend for Corruption as they complete the weekend sweep of the dungeon with two massive tournament wins. Hello and welcome to Repeat the Question. I'm David Sackrader and this is your one-stop shop for everything related to the world of the movie Trivia Schmodown. We're going to kick things off first with a bit of news. In a massive Twitter announcement, uh, Christian Harloff confirmed that on August 27th, uh, Chris Jericho will be taking on Kevin Smith. It's a massive blockbuster announcement. Um, that came right off the heels of the announcement that uh, Ben Bateman and Andrew Guy would be playing each other. Those two will be the undercard for this massive match. And, and look, from a, a, a business perspective, this is great for the Schmodown because it it draws new eyes to the league and it's it's the exact kind of eyes you want to have on the league because you're talking about those wrestling fans that will be drawn in by the theatrics and the promos and the and the things that the Schmodown draws from wrestling but you also have those movie fans and those those geeks that Kevin Smith brings in that will be drawn to the movie trivia aspect which is just as great the Schmodown does an excellent job of combining both worlds and so i think that uh, people who are fans of of either person uh, will have a huge incentive to enjoy the match. And I also think, I know a lot of people have been talking about like, is it why put guy and Bateman as the undercard for this match? Um, shouldn't it be like a double main event or something like that. The reason those two are the undercard for this match is because we, I think that the, it makes sense to put that match as the first match that people see. If people are coming for Kevin Smith versus Chris Jericho, um, I think that that should be the second match. So people have to sit through uh, the Bateman guy match in order to get to Kevin Smith taking on Chris Jericho. And they're going to see some of the best of the league when they see Ben Bateman and Andrew guy face off. There's just no doubt about that. The, the last time they played, it was, it was um, some of the epitome of, of, of gameplay and the theatrics mix. And I have no reason to doubt uh, that this next match between the two of them will be exactly the same. I'm super excited for that match. I'm super excited uh, for the main event. I, uh, you know, I'm not a, truly a big wrestling fan. I never really grew up with that stuff, but uh, I was aware of who Chris Jericho was. I understand that that's a big deal. And I'm also uh, a fan of Kevin Smith. Really big fan of uh, his podcast and, and listening to his opinions on, on on geek culture and those sorts of things. So I can't imagine this is going to be anything but a fun match. And it's an actual regular season match, which I also think is really important. It's not just like a celebrity match like things have been in the past where it's really more of an exhibition match. This is an actual regular season match, which is huge for the Schmodown because You've got the managers involved. You've got both Roxy Stryer and Koi Jandrew, and they're going to help coach uh, these two massive superstar talents uh, through the game. And so I don't think we're going to get those same sorts of things that we get in the celebrity matches where they don't really knew, know the rules of the game and then they're off put by how um, seriously everybody's taking everything. I think what we're going to get out of this is that um, we're going to get you know, some hiccups like you might see with regular rookies, but we're going to get two players that are invested in the game and, and want to compete and, and put on a good show, which I, I think is great for the league. And I think it'll, it for all intents and purposes should be a great match to watch. That wasn't the only piece of news that broke within the last week. The next 
kind of big piece of news is that uh, Christian Harloff announced on Facebook kind of out of the blue that there are some new updates to the way that that factions are being scored to close out the season. So let's take a look at those. The singles and teams tournament matches for the rest of the season are going to be worth three points plus one point for the uh, for the knockout similar to the way that the intergeekdom tournament matches have been to this point in the season. Likewise, the play in matches will be two points plus the additional one for the, um, for the knockout. And then the other big announcement is that all Schmodown spectacular matches are going to be five points plus an additional point for the knockout and all title matches next season will follow that same pattern where they're five points plus one for the knockout. So this has kind of been a controversial uh, decision by the chairman. A lot of people feel like um, they feel like this is changing things up too much in the middle of the season. Uh, you wouldn't see this kind of thing happen in a different sport. And I can't say that I disagree with them. Uh, the first thing I want to address up front is um, the things I like about this announcement. I think that the changes specifically for next season are are great. I do really like the idea that to make um, championship matches worth five points. And the reason I like that is because uh, there was a lot of debate last week with Mike Kalinowski's decision about um, about entering the tournament, about what should be more important. Should it be the faction points or should it be the belts? Um, and ultimately, I think that a competitor should be able to choose because the belts should be more about legacy and the faction standings should be more about, you know, winning right now or doing something for, for a collective good. But I wrote a long article about it on rtqpodcast.com where basically I said that until we know what the faction points are worth, this is the faction competition is kind of meaningless. We don't know exactly what they're going to be awarded if they win. So I don't really know that competitors have the full incentive to, to choose that path over choosing the belts. Somebody like a Mike Kalinowski is very secure in, uh, in his legacy. And certainly he'd like to win a singles belt or win the intergeekdom belt again down the line. But if he retired today, he he'd still be considered one of the best players uh, to have played the game. Just, just surely on what he's done to this point. So of course he's, it's beneficial for him to win a, a faction uh, title or to be the first team to win the faction title, because that's another resume booster for him. He doesn't need the, the resume booster from winning another title. Although I'm, I'm certain that he would like to, but you know, maybe somebody like an Andrew guy might be in a different, different position. I feel like, competitors aren't in the best place to make an informed decision. And as it stands right now, there, there isn't anything in place that really com- compares to the history of the belts. And then that becomes a, an additional problem because it's just not beneficial for uh, a player to go after the belt, but also want to win the faction standings unless they're on like the Finstock exchange where if they choose to do that, like Ben Bateman's choosing to do that, um, other high-level players will step up for the faction to earn points. I don't 
think that players shouldn't have a choice in that. I think that that players should choose what they want to put more value on. You know, somebody who might never contend for a belt might might choose to place the most value on winning points for their faction. But at the same time, um, I don't. I think it's weird because there's there's no like logical um, reason to go for the faction points, and at the same time choosing the faction points as the system stands right now is completely antagonistic to choosing the belt because if you choose the belt there's just not enough faction points in it as opposed to choosing to just play matches um to play matches you know or, or be in the tournament or whatever else so i do think that it's really important to have this extra five point boost for next season because then it says if you want to value the belt then you should have the it shouldn't be so much of a burden for you to choose to go after the belt uh, and take the points hit because that this way it's not as much of a points hit. It's also not as much as a points hit for, um, for teams to have champions on their team. Cause as it stands right now, you know, if you drafted a champion, the dungeon has Smets, uh, the rock stars have Alex Damon. They haven't gotten the chance to defend their belt yet this season. And I know that this season's kind of different, but you know, a champion might defend their belt, what, three times in a year, four times in a year. And so I do think that it was a smart decision to bump the points up for when they choose to do that. The part, the other part I do want to say um, before I get into the stuff I'm less excited about, um, I like the I, the incentive uh, for playing matches at Spectacular. I think everybody wants to play at Spectacular anyway. If you're in this the uh, tournament or if you're in the... Uh, yeah, if you're in the tournament contending for a title, um, the ultimate goal is to is to have the title or to get the title at Spectacular. And so, you know, having it, I think a team should get an extra points boost uh, for competing at Spectacular. And I think that, or ex- especially for winning at Spectacular, and I think that it could add some extra drama to the season to see, um, you know, if the Finstack exchange and corruption, let's say, are neck and neck, at the end of the year, I think that um, an extra points boost from the Finstock Exchange winning the singles championship, let's say, should be able to to really give them the edge in the faction standings rather than just being the same amount as a regular match. The part I'm less jazzed about is, um, I think, the part that everybody's less jazzed about. I don't necessarily like the announcement to change the singles and teams tournament matches to be worth more points. And I understand uh, Christian Harloff had a Facebook live video where he kind of said that this was kind of the plan from the get go and that this was always going to be the way it was implemented. They just hadn't announced it yet. I feel like that's the problem is that people should have been aware of that factor from the get go. If we had known, Oh, the singles and, and teams tournament matches are going to get a bump later in the season, then I don't think people would be as upset about it. I also think that it affects how some managers might have chosen to draft. Uh, I I doubt this would have happened, but maybe Kaiser chooses to draft one more um, higher level singles player rather than going with rookies because he knows that he needs somebody who can get a few matches in the singles tournament. All of that stuff kind of comes into play and then i also feel like this was something that was talked about on the action guys and i um i kind of agree with it they brought up the fact that it kind of lessens the impact of the of the front half of the season which you know 
is a good thing because it puts players puts everybody on an equal playing field, but I don't like the idea that the Finstock exchange could all lose in the first round of the tournament and the, um, let's say the usual suspects could, could win all of their first round matches, but lose all of their second round matches and, and, and rise up the rankings that quickly. I just don't, I feel like the tournament matches should have the same amount of weight as the matches previously in the season. Otherwise, what's the point in competing other than competing at, at the tournament? Now, obviously that's a, a math generalization, but, but I think the point still stands on the flip side. You know, I understand that this has been a crazy year and, and Harloff's in it in a weird position because he doesn't get to have as many matches as he initially wanted to have. So he's got to kind of do some adjustments because of that. Um, so I'm willing to write off these points changes as they're okay because of, of the way this year has been because of the fact that the, the matches he initially had planned didn't get to happen. So because of that, he's got to adjust some points values so that uh, things shake out the way that he had intended them, them to. I'm willing to say that's a perfectly reasonable excuse. And I totally get that because um, it is what it is, but I don't want to see it happen. Let's say next season where, where uh, a tournament gets a point bump or something like that midway through the season, I would rather have managers and and competitors and, um, and fans be aware of that fact right from the get go. So that, you know, for selfish reasons, if I'm analyzing the situation, I want to have the full um, knowledge available to me. I think that managers are the same way, and I think that that diehard fans are the same way too. Everybody wants to to be able to look at this and say, you know, hey, so and so has a high potential to win the season because of this, and not be blindsided by the fact that there are points changes or there are other changes. And again, I listened to Harloff's reasoning. I, I, I think I understand where he's coming from and I, I don't fully disagree with it, but I do, do feel like it's kind of awkward and it would have been less awkward if this had just been communicated from the beginning. You know, if at the beginning of the season they had said, Hey, we're thinking about a points bump for tournaments or, Hey, we're thinking about a points bump for spectacular, but we haven't finalized anything yet. Then this is a write-off because we were made aware of it, you know? But the fact that we weren't and that, you know, he was thinking about it even even back at the start of the season makes it kind of awkward. The final little piece of news here is that the singles bracket was announced. I'm going to have a full breakdown of who's in the singles tournament and and who my picks are to win it at the end of the show. Um, So stick around for that. But it was a piece of news. So I did want to include it in this, this little chunk here that the singles bracket was announced. And, uh, for the full breakdown on that, be sure to stick around to the end of the show. So now we're going to move on to the main meat of the show. And we have the, the first match of the weekend. It was a Saturday match, kind of unusual for the Schmodown. It premiered at the Skybound Expo, and this one was a lot of fun to watch. It, it just was. I didn't realize how amped I was for this match until I actually sat down uh, to watch it. And then, obviously, you know, the promos are, are going to get you hyped for something no matter what. But, man, for whatever reason, I was just really excited uh, to watch this match. And... 
both competitors really put on a show as you know, we get into the actual match here. Chance Ellison jumped out to an early lead after uh, he jumps out 11 to eight. Robert Parker missed two questions early. And I think that that was ultimately the difference maker in this match. I mean, you on, on paper, you can see that that's the difference maker in this match. Uh, just given how neck and neck the rest of the, the match was. But I think that maybe Parker hits some questions later in the match that he checks to multiple choice or misses uh, that he might not have missed if he had hit these two questions early. I'll get into that a little bit more later. In round two, Chance Ellison spins the DCEU. Um, no surprise that he kept it. His study partner is Mike Kalinowski. He goes five of five for nine points. And then Parker follows that up by spitting Wizarding World and going a similar five of five for nine points, setting the score at 20 to 17 in favor of Chance Ellison. In round three, uh, Parker hits his two, misses that tough three, uh, the Frisbee question. You know, I knew it was something like setting up something for the future in the in that back to the future question, but uh, I couldn't pull Frisbee. So that that's a tough question. And and I can't necessarily fault him for missing it. Ellison, though, closes it out. He hits his two and his three to make the final 25 to 24 in favor of the Cobra, Chance Ellison. Chance Ellison did not miss a question in this match. He did check to multiple choice once, so that brings his PPE down a little bit. Nevertheless, uh, Chance is looking deadly. I Ellison just has that, that fire, and I kind of talked about this with Andrew DiMolanta, Obviously, things didn't go his way, but I think things might go a little bit differently for Chance Ellison. Um, I historically have never really been big on him for just whatever reason. It's never he's never really clicked with me like he has with other people. But I finally got it after this match. I think um, you know I think he looks a lot stronger in teams this year. I think he looks a hundred percent stronger in Intergeekdom this year. I mean, obviously he was zero and one coming into. Uh, the tournament now he's he's two and one with two very dominant very elite level performances both over Oyama and now over Parker um, and for all intents and purposes I don't see why he couldn't be a singles contender as well so um, yeah I think I think that Chance Ellison has really put together put together everything he needed to, to rise above to that next level. Um, I don't know if it was the quarantine, the extended quarantine period that offered him more studying or or if he just has found that drive after, um, you know, being knocked out of tournaments in the past, but he just looks a lot better now um, than he has in the past. On the opposite side of things, Robert Parker is finally starting to, he finally looks more human, I guess. (laughs) Um, but really I would say he looks, looks more like a, looked more like a rookie in this match. And, and look, he got rattled early in the match and I don't think he ever really shook it. He he missed those two questions. And, um, 
I think they kind of nagged at him the whole match. And it's tough in inner geekdom because when you go down, you know, the first person to blink is very often the one to actually lose the match. And I think I'm sure that Robert Parker knew that. And that's part of what played into rattling him more than just the like the arrogance of I can't believe I got a question wrong, but more so the what getting a question wrong and being the first to get a question wrong means in inner geekdom, I think, is what really did the rattling for him. But I've seen a lot of people trying to write off Robert Parker like, oh, he was a fluke. Oh, you know, he missed he missed three questions, you know, doesn't deserve to be in the league or, or whatever these these crazy opinions that people are throwing around are. And the truth of the matter is that Robert Parker in this match, he still was above 800 with his accuracy rate. He still was above 800 potential points earned. Um, and that's in a loss like he's still a contender in this league and he's still proven night in and night out that he's going to be elite. And I would be scared of whoever has to face him next after this tournament. He probably won't get to play till next year, but there are no expectations on him. Now he's not the, the golden child rookie. Who's just supposed to win the dungeon, all the points. Now he's just some guy who fans used to love and don't love anymore. And I think that's the best thing that Robert Parker could have going for him. I think that it's really going to, to drive him next season. And I don't see why he can't win a belt down the line. Um, it might, may be a while, but you know, I don't think people should be counting out Robert Parker just after this one loss. It's a loss. Yeah, but it's not the end of the world. And he definitely, you know, he may have looked human, but Every single one of the greats lost once, you know, that, that is what it is. The other thing that a lot of people have been talking about is whether or not this was an upset. Uh, people are loud about the fact that this was not an upset, that chance Ellison was a team's champion. There's no way that this was the upset, but here's the thing on paper. This is most definitely an upset. Robert Parker was the higher seeded competitor in the, in the tournament, just, just based on, on how he was seated. He had a play in match. He's very clearly the higher seeded competitor. The other big thing is that chance was Owen one heading into the tournament. Now I know that was kind of an ill-prepared match uh, and he faced high level talents in Brandon Hanna and, and Chandra Donapani, but nonetheless, he was Owen one heading into the tournament. So Robert Parker had one win going into the tournament. Chance Ellison had one loss going into the tournament. That means that Robert Parker is ranked above Chance Ellison. That's just on paper. That's just how it works. And saying that is not disrespectful to Chance Ellison. He's still an elite player. He's still a former team's champion. But at the time, you know, if you're analyzing this going into the Intergeekdom tournament, he wasn't an elite. He was, he had the loss and he wasn't an elite player in inner geekdom until he started winning in inner geekdom. You know, I thought he was going to win this match uh, a few weeks ago after, after we saw all the round one performances, I thought he put together a strong match and I thought he had a high potential to beat Robert Parker. That being said, it's, it doesn't mean it's not an upset because a lot of people favored Parker in this match. You know, all of the polls that I looked at had Parker winning this match. 
when a favored competitor loses, doesn't matter by how much they're favored, that makes it an upset. So you can talk about Chance Ellison's elite performances all you want, but at the end of the day, this is an upset. And it's not disrespectful to Chance Ellison to call it an upset. In fact, I think it's more respectful to acknowledge what Chance Ellison has done and to say that he has a good shot uh, to win his side of the bracket because of his collective two performances so far. And he should be the favorite heading into the Barbarians match. So now we'll move on to the next match. In this one, we've got Mike the Killer Kalinowski taking on Eric Z-Man Zipper. Corruption taking on the dungeon again. And, and you know, this was the match I thought I was more excited about heading into um, and into the weekend. But, you know, after how great Robert Parker Chance Ellison was, this one just... I don't think it ever could have lived up to it for me. Nevertheless, it's a great match. And I think that the the best way to do it justice is to just get into it. So Mike Kalinowski jumps out to an early lead. He, he uh, leads nine to eight at the end of round one. Uh, Kalinowski's only miss is off that difficult wonder woman question. Um, I honestly can't blame him for messing it. The, the who said it questions are tough. The fill in the blank quote questions are, are very tough. And then obviously I felt like that was an obscure line, but that could just be me as, as a non-competitor uh, in round two, Kalinowski elects to go first. He spins DC movies, obvious strength. He goes perfect. Eric zipper steps up to the plate. He spins middle earth. He says, I've been training with Smets. I've been training with Parker. I'm going to take it. He looked strong in this category against Emily Rose Jacobson. So I don't think it was a bad choice to take it. He goes four or five in the category for seven points, but Mike Kalinowski is unable to pick up that steal. So realistically, uh, it seems like a good move on the gameplay standpoint, even though he needed something to go perfect in to keep pace. Uh, so that sets the score at 19 to 15 Kalinowski. It, it, it leaves it really tough for zipper to come back. He hits his two and his three to avoid the TKO, but Kalinowski hits the easy two with the Harry Potter question that bounces it back to zipper and zippers unable to, to pull the who said it question to lead to the final score of 21 to 20 in favor of Mike the killer Kalinowski. I've got to say that Mike Kalinowski really surprised me in this match. Oh, well, I guess I won't say surprise. He really impressed me in this match. I thought when he played Greg Alba, he looked rusty. I didn't know that he necessarily had the legs to keep going in this tournament. And I thought maybe Eric Zipper could pull an upset, but clearly between that match and this match, he put in the work and uh, it looked like a return to form for him. He, he didn't, the, that rust didn't seem to be there. I think that Kalinowski looked a lot stronger and I now think that Kalinowski has, has the legs to win the tournament. That being said, still rooting for my boy, Alex Damon. So, you know, I hope that Damon pulls the upset next week. Nevertheless, return to form for Kalinowski. The other big thing to come out of this match was Mike Kalinowski actually looked like a heel in this match, you know, taunting zipper. All of that, that classic Mike Kalinowski heel stuff that we all love uh, 
was all at, fully at play in this match and I was here for it. Um, the one thing that I, I, I took away from the Greg Alba match was I thought maybe we were getting a softening Mike Kalinowski, the start of, of another cycle back to, to a face turn for him after, you know, the kind of events of last season, this match put, put those rumors to bed. Mike Kalinowski is a heel for life. You know, it just, it is what it is. He, the way he went about being heel was very classic Mike Kalinowski and I'm excited to see him play against Alex Damon because uh, the fire he brought in that post-match interview and talking about Alex Damon and how Alex Damon doesn't belong in the league that he needs to go back to his kiddie league. I'm all for that stuff. I think that uh, the next week that match is on Friday and I'm super stoked to see it because I think that it could go either way. The opposite side of things, if we look at Eric Zipper, it just really wasn't his day. I don't think he's quite there yet. I think he's a great competitor, but I think he's kind of a Brandon Hanna right now. In that, I think that with a little bit more work, he'll be really good. But until he can close out matches, until he can can really make a, a tournament run, um, people are always going to kind of count him out. And as long as he keeps working with Smets realistically, and, and Parker too, if he stays on the dungeon, but... Um, I don't see why he can't become an elite player. I don't see why he can't maybe challenge for a championship down the line. Um, but I think that he needs still needs a little bit more time. And, and the really important thing to take away from this is from last season to this scene season, there was a marketed improvement for Eric zipper. So I have no reason to believe that it won't be the same from this season to next season. So I would watch out for him next season. I think he, he might be prepped to go on a, a run in a tournament next season. So that brings us to the tournament bracket. If we take a look at that, we see that, that both Kalinowski and Chance Ellison move on. Chance Ellison takes on the Barbarian this week on Thursday. Meanwhile, Kalinowski takes on Damon this week on, on uh, Friday. If I have to predict it right now, I think it's going to be Chance Ellison versus Alex Damon in the final. And I think Alex Damon is still going to take the tournament. That is still my pick and I'm holding to it uh, this year for the tournament. But look, this Intergeekdom tournament has given us a lot of really great matches and, and, and this is no different. But there's one more thing to talk about coming out of the looking at the bracket is that the dungeons knocked out of inner geekdom. They're done in that division for the year, except for uh, Smets's title defenses coming up. So we really have to, to honestly ask the question, did Kaiser's draft plan fail? And I think everybody's quick to say, why, of course it failed. Uh, his players were knocked out of the tournament. And yes, from a, from a base level, it did fail this season, but I don't think that you can fault the plan for, for outside circumstances on paper, Kaiser's draft plan to draft the players that are going to score the most amount of points and then try to score the most amount of points seems very logical, but he got hit with a, a, a weird year. The pandemic kind of threw things for a loop and you know, we probably would have gotten more intergeek to matches outside of the tournament. 
So because of the pandemic, we don't get those and Kaiser's draft plan kind of looks like it fails because he doesn't get those four matches or whatever it is, you know, maybe two or three more matches for Robert Parker before he actually gets into the tournament. Um, those kinds of things could make a huge difference because maybe you're talking about two or three more wins before the tournament. Um, that could be six more points. That's really big. Uh, Six points has been shown to to really move teams from like the bottom of the division to to next to the top. So I can't say that you fault his draft plan here. I think that if Kaiser decided to go into next season with the exact same plan, I'm not sure I would fault him. I, I think that in a regular season, it probably works really, really well. The other thing you've got to look at is, you know, his other heavy hitter is Kevin Smets, who has not gotten the chance to compete at all this year. He's got an upcoming title defense against Chandra Dondapani, but you know, in a regular season, he probably defends that belt three or four times. That's a huge difference compared to what we've got right now. And because of that, that's another loss out on points that, that Kaiser could have gotten. So I, I can't fault Kaiser's draft plan at all. Um, I think that he had the right idea on paper, even if it wasn't executed to its fullest extent. So with the matches out of, out of the way, that's going to bring us into taking a look at our faction standings. Finstock Exchange obviously still on top, but Corruption makes the huge jump into third place uh, with the six-point swing. They're sitting at 17 points right now. Um, it's another big week for corruption because two wins ensures that corruption is in second place. And then they're, they're neck and neck with a Finstock exchange. Um, at that point, a singles tournament run from, from chance Ellison, which I think is highly likely or a singles tournament run from Mike Kalinowski could be the difference maker that moves them into first place. So corruption, you know, they need the energy to wins and for all intents and purposes, they put themselves into a great position to do that. Uh, looking at the other teams that have matches this week, the barbarian needs to win for the Finstock exchange just to continue to add to their lead and, and secure that first place because if corruption is able to win on the other side of the bracket, then, you know, if Kalinowski beats Damon, but barbarian beats Ellison, that still widens the gap which is, which is important for them to do. And Alex Damon, you know, he's the rock stars golden child right now. He needs to get the win in order to keep the rock stars in it. Because if he's able to get the win, the rock stars move up, um, above the den, they move closer to corruption. If Alex Damon wins the whole tournament, they challenge the Rockstar's challenge was set swag. Both Corruption and the Rockstar started the year at the bottom of the le league at, at some point during the year, I should say. So wins are highly important for both of them, obviously in this Intergeekdom tournament, but they stand the best chance to catch the exchange, I think. And if they're as close as they're able to get themselves in this Intergeekdom tournament, the better their chances are in the singles tournament. And they really have to, they really have to get it done. I'm cheering for Alex Damon. I really am. I think the rock stars can do it. Um, 
but it seems like it's all in on corruption right now. So now we've moved into the final part of the show. I'm going to take a look at the singles tournament bracket after it was uh, uh, unveiled last week. We finally got a look at what the, the singles tournament was going to look like. And here it is. There's 36 competitors in there. I'm not going to read off all of them. I just wanted to highlight a few key matches before I go into my prediction. Um, I think that Tim Fraco versus Tom is going to be a huge match that could go either way. Uh, I think Mike Kalinowski versus Perry Nemiroff is a very tough first round match for Mike Kalinowski, who, uh, you know, elected to avoid the easy path to the title to, to try to earn more points. If he gets knocked out in the first round, that's tough for them. Mark Riley video drew should be very close. Uh, should be interesting. I actually think Paul Preston, Eric zipper should be a really fun match to watch. Brennan Meyer, uh, Alonzo Duralde should be very good. A lot of great matches in this tournament and a lot of great potential matches. Um, we could see Whitney Seibold versus uh, Bibiani. We could see Barbarian Bibiani. We could see uh, a, a title match rematch. We could see Paulo Yama versus Jeff Snyder. A lot of, of potential matches that would be very, very interesting. So now I'll, I'll move into my actual picks and here they are. Um, I'm not going to dwell on individual matchups too much. Um, I'm just going to move into the elite eight first. I have, uh, either Merle or Roca moving on to the elite eight after beating the play in winner and beating Lon Harris. I have Mark and Draco moving on to the elite eight after beating Matt Atchity and beating Brennan Meyer. Um, that one's an interesting one um, because I think that Brendan Meyer could win it, but for some reason, my gut told me to pull the upset with Andrako, and so I've got Andrako going to that that elite eight. Below that, I have Chance Ellison uh, moving past Del Rio, David Del Rio, and Liz Shannon Miller to make it to the elite eight. Uh, I think Liz Shannon Miller, Rachel Silvestrini is a toss up. But I think Chance Ellison looks really dominant, so uh, I don't think it matters which one of them it is. I think he's moving on to the Elite Eight. And then I've got Bibiani beating the play-in winner and beating the Barbarian, even though I would like, or excuse me, that's not true. I have the Barbarian beating the beating Bibiani um, after Bibiani beats the play-in winner, obviously. Um, I don't know. I just think that, that that potential, that match is ripe for an upset Um going forward. I, I can't really explain why I, I like that, that matchup, but I think that that's going to be a very close match either way. And, and it should be very interesting. On the other side, I've got Paul Preston actually moving into the elite eight. Uh, he's going to beat the winner of, uh, Irwin Roca or excuse me. He's going to beat either Irwin Roca. Who's, who's the winner of the, uh, the, their match against the play-in winner. I really think that Paul Preston could make a run in this thing, and I don't see any reason why um, he can't do it here. And I think that a dominant dis display over either Ethan Irwin or John Roca would be enough uh, to do it. 
I think that Tim Franco is going to shock a lot of people and move to the Elite Eight after beating both Tom and Jader Promo. You know, even that pick of Jader Promo over Jim Vavita is a bit of an upset too. Um, for whatever reason, I like those odds. I think I'm going to, I, I think I'm going to take Paramo, but Tim Franco is moving to the elite eight from there. And the opposite side of things, uh, Mike Kalinowski is going to get past Perry Nemiroff. That's, that's the way I see it going down. And I think that Mark Riley is going to get past video drew, but Mark Riley is ultimately going to make it to the elite eight over Mike Kalinowski. I think that's going to be a, a bloodbath, but, um, I think that that Mark Riley, a lot of people sleep on Mark Riley. Uh, he's former champion. I don't think he should. I think he's at least got a few wins in him in the tournament. But on the opposite side of things, I have both Snyder and Oyama moving on, and Oyama moving to the Elite Eight. I think that Paul Oyama. I mean, you can see it on the graphic. I have him winning the entire tournament. Um, I really like Paul Oyama's chances. I think that, you know, he showed last season that he's, he can be a very dominant competitor and I don't see any reason why he can't go all the way in this tournament. So with that set in mind, uh, you look at the final four, I have Merlin Roca moving on to the final four, getting past, uh, Mark and on the opposite side some things I have Paul Preston moving past Tim Franco to make it to the final four. Then I also have chance Ellison moving to the final four over the barbarian. And I have Paulo Yama moving to the final four, um, over Mark Riley. So that sets up Merle, the winner of Merle and Roca versus Paulo Yama. That's how I think it's going to go. I think that either Merle or Roca is going to actually beat Ellison. Um, and, and quench his title run there and move to the final. But I think that once you get to that final four, I think any one of them has, has potential to make it to that tournament final. I think we could see in an Allison, a chance Allison, Paulo Yama rematch, uh, in the tournament final, which would be nuts. Um, I would be super all in on seeing that happen, but as it stands right now, Paul Oyama is my pick to win the entire tournament. I, you know, I just really think Paul Oyama has it in him. I watched his season last season. I think he had a phenomenal season and a lot of people sleep on him because he, he really struggled at spectacular, but he's got a new attitude this season, which I think helps to put him over. And I also think that he just looks, he's got nothing to lose realistically in as far as Paulo Yama is concerned, um, if he goes out with a fizzle, he comes back next season. But nobody's really expecting him, I don't think, to win win a title again this year. And he's not talked about in that elite level conversation in singles, even though he's won the belt. So I think that he needs to win the tournament to solidify himself in that conversation. And I don't see any reason why he can't. I think... I'm really high on Paul Yama. I, I can't explain exactly why, but I think he's got a favorable road to get to the, the title. And, um, you know, I think he's got one of the, perhaps one of the easier quadrants. And so I don't see any reason once he starts stringing wins together, why that can't turn into a title run for him. Nevertheless, that is going to do it for 
the show today. I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in. Be sure to check out rtqpodcast.com. Uh, put a lot of work into that website. I just put out a new article about my picks for the midseason awards. So be sure to check that out. On, in addition, be sure to check us out on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. That's the best way to find out when we're posting new articles, when we're posting new episodes, when new things are happening for the show. That's where they'll be be at. So if you want to stay up to date with everything, either go to rtqpodcast.com regularly or make sure to follow us on all our socials. You can follow me at POTUS107. I'd like to remind everybody that we are on all podcasting platforms thanks to Anchor. So if you prefer the show in audio format... Uh, you can get it in audio format just about anywhere. But just know that if you're choosing to uh, listen to the show in audio format, you're missing about half the show because uh, we put a lot of work into the graphics and stuff on this show and and, and the video format um, really elevates the show to the next level. I really encourage you to, to rate us on on um, Apple Podcasts if you can. That really helps us out in the standing and really helps us get more eyes on the video be sure to like comment and subscribe to the channel i know that sounds you know obnoxious to say but it really helps us out and gets more showdown fans looking at the channel and you know one last thing christian harloff posted a poll on uh a facebook about who you think should win podcast slash after show of the year and we would really appreciate it if you voted for us in that um and thank you to anybody who has voted uh, for us in that we're a young show and we're just trying our best uh, to put out the best content we can so we really thank you for for tuning in and for for showing such enthusiasm for the show but that's going to do it for us this week thank you for tuning in and so long